Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Strange Sound. This is Joe, and I am proprietor of Strange Sound. What could be stranger? What could be stranger than unforeseen danger that lies on the ocean floor? Sorry, Neil Young. Just had to borrow that. Um, Here we are. This is being recorded uh, on the weekend of... June the 13th, and what's been happening, God knows. You all know what's been happening. You don't need me to tell you the news. Um, protests still underway across the nation in response to the recent police killings and just the general um, weariness with this sort of uh, regime particularly affects people of color in this country. Some pretty remarkable protests, uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, places that you really wouldn't expect to see have protests of any size are seeing really remarkably large crowds. Just a couple of hours away from where I live, Troy, New York, 11,000 people showed up at a protest at Riverfront Park. 11,000 people here in in my own area, in the city of Utica, New York, upstate New York. um, There was at least 1,000 people. I think it might have been a couple of thousand people at a recent protest. I mentioned that at our last, um, on my last episode. Um, But 11,000 people in a city the size of Troy is just... That is just amazing. I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like it. (sighs) Yeah, so this is a weekend uh, when the president gave the commencement address at West Point to a bunch of socially distanced cadets who were assembled there because the president wanted to give the commencement address. That's really the only reason why they were there. (laughs) Um, using them as a prop, of course, that's what he's all about. And, uh, none of their family members were present. Of course, they wanted to try to keep people as safe as possible, but under the circumstances, they really didn't need to be there at all as it is. Um, educational institutions are still under, um, some restrictions in New York state, um, as I, as I know very well, um, certainly schools are closed, um, all over my own region and colleges are scratching their heads as to what they're going to do. Um, come fall, it's really kind of hard to say. So a lot of that stuff is still up in the air because of the COVID crisis. Um, but really the big story this week has 
been the continuation of the protests um, around the killing of George Floyd and some of the other recent police killings. Um, And in response to the somewhat militant reaction of the police to the protests themselves, which has added fuel to the fire um, significantly. That didn't happen here in uh, in upstate, uh, this part of upstate New York. Um, the, the Utica protest, I wasn't there, uh, but the Utica protest went very smoothly. Um, a lot of cooperation um, and apparently no problems, uh, no thuggishness. The police were 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 pretty um, supportive, so that's good. Great. Um, it isn't like we haven't had problems here. We have over the years, um, and the general configuration of public safety in a small city like Utica, New York or Troy, New York, I'm sure is the same as in big cities. Um, a large portion of the budget, the city budget goes to supporting, um, the police department and there's a relatively strong police union. And, and that's, that's to be expected. I don't know what the demographics of the of the um, Utica police force is, but it doesn't really much. It, it matters in a sense, but it doesn't matter from the standpoint of of how different communities are policed. And again, as I say, there have been incidents through the years. Um, it's probably not as bad now as it used to be. We did have some really bad incidents, you know, in previous decades. Um, there have been some really rough times in, in Utica um, and in other upstate, small upstate post-industrial cities. Obviously, Utica is not unique in that regard. This past week, though, um, or rather a couple of weeks ago when we had this larger protest, uh, it was it was quite quiet. And, you know, and uh, the police apparently we're very cooperative with it. So that's good. That's positive. And, uh, it, it continues. Um, it, it moves on. So, I mean, really what I wanted to talk about today, not so much a reportage of the protests. You've seen all of that. I'm sure there's plenty of great sources out there. One thing that I've been kind of obsessing over are some of these incidents of sort of retail racism that are being chronicled on social media. I sometimes get lost in my Twitter feed looking at these videos that have been posted by people who've, um, who are experiencing one-on-one essentially racist incidents um, being reported to the police by white people. You know, I mean, these are videos shot by black people uh, who are being accosted by white people and being threatened with police action, that sort of thing. I try not to watch too much of it because it comes, becomes something like racism porn, you know, but it's, there's, <laughs> I take in a certain amount of it just because I feel like it's the, you know, it's the least I can do is be aware of what's happening. The thing about American society is, uh, these are 
These are video encapsulations of what any white person, if they were going to be 100% honest, would say is typical of white people in the United States. And me, you know, being a white person born in the United States, born into relative privilege, at least kind of middle class privilege, I've been in rooms full of white people most of my life. And when you are when you are a white person and you're alone in a room full of white people, they tend to say things that they wouldn't say in the presence of people of color. And that has happened pretty much throughout my life and well into recent years. It doesn't happen every single time, but it does happen. And it happens fairly frequently. And now, what is the what that happens? Well, the what that happens is someone makes a racist comment. Someone goes on some kind of racist tirade and assumes because you you are white and they are white that they're going to get at least a polite hearing on that, if not a sympathetic ear. Um, probably the most troubling recent example uh, for me was we have uh, a park near our house in our neighborhood, a public park that uh, occasionally my neighbors will assemble for a little a little kind of get together. Obviously not this year because of the COVID thing, but in previous years they've done this. And I went to uh, one of these gatherings one, one time uh, <laughs> and was sitting around and chatting with my neighbors. And uh, a number of my neighbors are landlords. You know, they have uh, they they own houses probably in inner city Utica and in other other areas. Um, I I don't know this for a fact. I've sort of heard them anecdotally speaking about about their you know whatever uh, apartments they have, um, whatever apartment buildings they own, um, and you know rental properties. And they started on this occasion started talking about some of their tenants and some of their tenants are people of color. And one of my neighbors went into a racist sort of uh, recounting of one of his tenants was a black fellow um, who broke up with his wife and he was describing how he was more or less walking, walking down the street with his, with his smoker. So apparently he, he has this smoker that he uses for, you know, smoking sausages or whatever, or ribs, something like that. I, you know, he wasn't being specific about that part of it, but it was, (laughs) it was this cringe inducing tale of how this tenant of his, you know, was breaking up with his wife, but he had to hang on to that smoker you know, and he and this this neighbor of mine was imitating this guy and sort of um, doing this little retelling of the incident in in true step and fetch it kind of fashion, and it was just appalling. And I just it stood up and <laughs> held my hands up and was like, "Okay, 
that's it. Uh, my face must have been uh, must have been something to see at that moment. But again, this is not that unusual. And we were surrounded by white people. There was one person of color there who is uh, a friend of uh, one of my neighbor's kids. And uh, I think he was out of earshot at that moment. And I was just, I was just appalled. But again, it's the sort of thing that comes up when you are a white person and you are amongst white people and they sort of take you into their confidence. Um, I'm somebody who grew up in a very white town. Um, as I've said in previous episodes, it's the town that uh, former Congresswoman Claudia Tenney grew up in. She she went to my high school. She was a few years behind me. Um, I, went, I actually knew her brother pretty well. And uh, yeah, it's it was a very white school. Um, it's a little less white now, but it's still pretty white. And wouldn't even want to begin to retell the types of conversations that uh, were had in those days. Uh, this is back in the 70s. Uh, so you can, I'll just leave that to your imagination. So again, the Twitter feed, <laughs> the, the little uh, videos that you see on the Twitter feed, not surprising to me. Not surprising to me to see uh, these white people sort of reacting the way they do, um, opting for their their call to the police because they know that the police are going to respond to them in a particular way. They know that the police are oriented towards protecting them against the other, the other being people of color, the other being people who reside within certain boundaries within whatever city they're they're a citizen of um it's a pretty ugly spectacle and as i say i only i I can only watch it for limited times i'm sure you've seen it you don't need me to tell you about it um so that's that's a little off topic but what i wanted to talk about today was just the fact that we have had over the course of the last few weeks a practical demonstration of the power of an uprising, of the power of demonstrations to move politics forward. We have seen in hundreds of cities major uprisings, major demonstrations, um, prolonged demonstrations, Beyond the scope of anything that we've seen in in quite a number of years, I mean, the Occupy Wall Street phenomenon back in 2011 was was pretty remarkable and sustained, and it was shared across the country. But in terms of magnitude, I think these are, are much larger and much more widespread and much more dramatic in a lot of ways. And as we've seen, they've gotten people's attention. And this is the way that change happens. After all these years, after Trayvon Martin, after Michael Brown, after Philando Castile, after all of these incidents, we've seen protests and a certain amount of a certain amount of agitation and 
Nothing. Nothing fundamental has changed. You'd think that it was... (laughs) I always uh, equate like Tamir Rice with the Newtown Massacre. Um, I thought after the Newtown Massacre, oh my God, if nothing happens in the order of uh, gun control after Newtown, then nothing will ever happen. How can we not do something at this point? And we didn't. And after Tamir Rice, I thought, if nothing happens after Tamir Rice, what will it take? And essentially nothing happened. Um, and, And that just really... Those two, um, in parallel, those those two incidents sort of broke something in in me as far as my faith in our ability to sort of move move things forward. But this timing wise, and just the preponderance and the cumulative weight of all of these incidents leading up to George Floyd's murder, apparently were enough to just push it over the edge. And something snapped, and what we have is akin to a general strike. Now, part of it is just a product of of where our society is right now as, as a result of the COVID crisis. So remember, the the largest labor movement activity, the broadest and most militant labor movement activity in the United States came during the Great Depression when, you know, 25% of workers were out of a job. Well, we've got something close to that now. And in all honesty, you know, People are able to get out into the street because not only are they do they feel compelled by injustice and compelled by the fact that, that they're being economically screwed during this COVID crisis and the resulting economic crisis. Um, they've lost their jobs or they're being forced. The effort is being made to force them back into jobs that will risk their lives. Um, that that is pushing them out into the street and they have the ability to go out into the street day after day because they've been tossed out of work. And of course, there's also the added impetus of just having been locked up, you know, social isolating, those that have been able to do that, those who haven't been deemed essential, um, i.e. sacrificial workers, um, people who have the ability or the um, capacity to stay home or either work from home or have been tossed out of work and are on unemployment. Those folks are able to come out. And so that is, is going to raise the number. But this is truly a moment. It's a political moment. And people are being driven by circumstances, by the accumulated, you know, just weariness with this this injustice um, that it's pushing them out into the street. And we are seeing a reaction on the part of a very reluctant government. 
that is largely in Republican hands. The House of Representatives is is in Democratic hands, but I mean the Senate is firmly in Republican hands, and the presidency is in Republican hands. And you know, there's they're reluctant to do it, but they're paying it lip service. And we're seeing this. We're seeing something different this time. And it's because it's because of the power and the persistence of these demonstrations. This is how things change. I've said before, and I'll say it again, and I'm not the only person who's ever said this. God knows. Everybody knows this. Everybody should know this. If you're trying to decide whether direct action or you know um, elections uh, are what you need to put your energy into, the answer to that question is both. We need both. We need to demonstrate and we need to vote. Now, the question of voting, who you vote for, that's a strategic question and it shouldn't take any energy or any time at all. It should be pretty easy to figure that out. So, you, you know, the five minutes you spend on figuring that out, that's, that's done. That shouldn't take any time at all. The voting part is hard because they're making voting very hard for people. So the actual voting part is problematic, but the, the part about deciding who to vote for, that's not very hard at all, right? But that's only one tiny piece of it. You vote so that when we're able to organize to the extent that, we, that people have been able to organize around this issue, around Black Lives Matter, around um, defunding the police or reforming the police or whatever, um, ending police violence against, against black people, against people of color more generally. When we're able to organize around that, you know, in the fashion that it has been done over the past few weeks, there will be a possibility of moving legislators and moving a president towards some kind of legislative action. Because ultimately, and it's not just on the national level, it's also on the state level, right? Ultimately, and on the local level, ultimately you're going to need to translate all this energy into some kind of legislative executive purpose and process. We need to push them to pass the legislation that's going to make a difference, that's, that's going to affect the budgets of these um, police departments, that's going to affect the mission of these police departments and of public services, public safety in, in general. That's the only way we can affect change. We need to be in the street, but we also need to make certain that our the elected officials are going to be persuadable. We could stand in the street until kingdom come and Donald Trump is not going to do anything to help black people. Nothing. He's not going to do anything about police violence. Nothing. Mitch McConnell is not going to do anything about police violence. I've, I've already seen ads. I've seen web ads featuring Mitch McConnell talking about the lawless Democrats and how you need to give money to essentially a fund to reelect Mitch and to reelect a Republican Senate 
and to reelect the president. Basically a Republican pack. And, and they're already harping on this. Lawlessness. That's what they'll talk about. That's going to be their, that's going to be their gambit. They're going to try to scare people into, into giving the money and voting for them. You're not going to get anything out of those people, right? But there's still, even people in the Republican caucus are having to pay it lip service. Just like corporate America is having to sort of find a way to co-opt it, right? Because it's such a big movement. And there's so many people being motivated by this that they don't know what to do. The people who are demonstrating and have been demonstrating for the past few weeks have really put the scare into the people in power. And even though Donald Trump isn't going to do anything about it, you can tell that they're worried about this. This is not something that they can just ignore. They'll try to leverage it to their advantage, but it's not like they're going to suddenly be, you know, woke and start doing the right thing. They're never going to do that. So what we need to do is we need to stay in the streets. And I say we, I mean, yeah, I know. I haven't been doing it, but (laughs) I'm useless. Um, I mean, the broader we, the we that doesn't include me. God, I'm useless. But still, what we need is feet in the street. We need to be out there. But we also need to have we need to play a role in who is elected to office because if we don't do that, nothing is going to change. We need to get Republican control out of the Senate. We need to make Mitch McConnell either an ex-senator or minority leader. He's got to go or nothing is going to happen. On the federal level, we need to get rid of Donald Trump. We need him to be defeated decisively in the next election, an election that he's likely to dispute if he loses. That'll be another reason to stand out in the street, my friends. That would be a reason for a general strike. I know Taft-Hartley has made it illegal, but if Donald Trump loses the election and disputes the result, and as Ari Berman has said, that there's like Bush v. Gore times seven in a bunch of swing states disputing the electoral results. Um, That's when we need to use this people power. We've seen this happen in other, even in authoritarian regimes. We've seen this happen. We know what moves people. We know what moves politicians. We know if you're, even if you're disinclined to listen If there are millions of people in the streets, we know that they're going to pay attention to that. And we can see how sensitive they are to this. This is of a different magnitude than before. And that's why they're listening to it. And that's why they're responding to it. So what we need is a cohort of politicians in office that are going to be more sensitive to that. Are they going to be completely on the same page as, as the movement? God, no. If we're talking about Joe Biden... No, he's not going to be on the same page, but he's going to be pushable. We're going to be able to push him to do the right thing. 
much more so than you can with Donald Trump because Donald Trump doesn't care. He doesn't need that constituency. He doesn't care. Biden needs a constituency. But even if he sort of minimizes it, the more people that are out in the street, the larger the constituency. This scares the hell out of them. That's the power of these movements. So we need that. That's essential to a a functioning democracy is what you've been seeing over the last six weeks. Don't let anybody fool you. This isn't chaos. This isn't riot. This is power. This is people power. We have the power. We just have to be willing to use it. It takes organizing. We need to do it, though. But we need to, we need to walk and chew gum at the same time. We need to vote to make certain that the office holders that, that are in power at any given time are going to be people who are going to respond in a positive way to the expression of power in the streets. Because if we don't have that, if we continue to have Republican rule, then what we're going to have is, on the federal level, we're going to have the appointment of reactionary judges, the continued um, truncation of rights, both legislatively and in, in terms of executive power. But the judicial piece, we we can't forget that. What they've done by packing the courts, is put into place the means by which they can defeat progressive legislative action into the future for as long as any of us will be alive. I'm not saying it's hopeless, but we've lost a lot of ground over the last four years particularly. Really since uh, 2014 in particular, because they've they've blocked appointments. They blocked appointments in the in the last couple of years of Obama's term, and they've just been packing the courts ever since Trump was in office. And the result of that is going to be striking down progressive legislation from now until God knows when. So we need to turn that around. Not because we're instantaneously going to be able to pass progressive legislation to the extent that we need to, but... (laughs) Because the fact that we have all those reactionary judges in in office right now, on the bench right now, that's going to foreclose the possibility of progressive change in the future. So again, I can't say this often enough. Demonstrations, absolutely essential. And we need to be focused and we need to be determined. We also need to vote. We need both strategies. One takes about five minutes thought. The other one takes a lot of organizing, and that should be where most of our energy should go. We also have to keep the polls open for people, so we need to push on that too. But that's another podcast. Anyway, that's all I've got to say on this. Thanks for listening. I'd like to know what you think. I would very much like to know what you think. Please leave a comment at anchor.fm slash strange sound. You can also reach me on Twitter at strange sound pod on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Facebook. You can find a link to our Facebook page at anchor.fm slash strange sound. 
You can also find links to our podcast by going to the podcast tab of big-green.net. That's our main homepage. So please do comment, push back, leave a message, talk to Joe. Joe wants to hear from you. (laughs) He's been in the basement too long. He's referring to himself in the third person. That's not a good sign. Anyway, stay safe out there. We'll see you next time. Talk soon. Take care.